focusing on hiring the right people for the job and just letting them do their job. You think that they are the best person for this, so don't question what they're doing. Then you know, the velocity is higher, the pride is higher, and I think you just get to where you want to be quick. Welcome to Dive Club. My name is Rid, and this is where we go deep with the best designers so that you can learn from their journey and apply it to your own career. There's a new design super team assembling right now, and it is happening at Clerk. So I wanted to talk with the leader, Derek Briggs, to learn more about how he's creating this culture of craft. We cover a lot in this episode, like how he recruited James McDonald, what it's like redesigning every single pixel of the Clerk product, and a lot more. And Derek shares some really, really interesting ideas about how design teams should be structured and how they should operate. But before we get into the details, I wanted to learn how Derek landed this role as the director of design at Clerk. The opportunity came with Clerk when Jeff Escalante, the director of engineering, followed me on Twitter. I had seen a lot from Clerk floating around. Pretty much every stack you see that people are sharing of what they're building on has Clerk in it. And it really like intrigued me of, of why, like wh what is it? Because in all the other former opportunities that I've worked with, we started with Auth0, couldn't get it to look like what we wanted it to look like and tore it out or started hand rolling our own. But for some reason, there was this clerk that kept floating around for authentication. Like, why? Why is everybody using this? And it made me very interested in, like, what was it about and what was making it so great? So, again, Jeff followed me, uh, reached out to him, said, hey, you're doing cool stuff. Let me know if you want any support because I was doing a contract with Tailwind at that time and wrapping that up and thinking about kind of what's next. And pretty quickly, he's like, yeah, let's talk. So it was probably that day that we jumped on a call and talked about their needs and what they're working on. What they were wanting was, was design support for what the future of their components were going to look like because they're known for their one-liner components that you just get all the power out of the box. It was exciting to work on. We we figured out, you know, kind of what the scope of that project was to, in, to start prototyping and kind of envisioning what the next versions of those components were going to look like. I worked closely with him and Braden, the, the co-founder there, and really enjoyed every interaction that I had with them. They always had time for me. They were always available. Great feedback. Lots of trust, lots of autonomy. Like what designer doesn't want that? Getting towards the middle to later part of the engagement is when conversations started to surface from them of like, hey, do you want to come do this full time? Like, no, like, I'm really enjoying the, the time of contracting and kind of being independent right now. And they you know, kind of okay with that. And then the following week, then it'd be the other person that would reach out and say, hey, would you think about this maybe? Like we have projects that are coming in the pipeline and we're starting to say things like, what if Derek did that for us? What if Derek did that for us? And still, I was like, no, I appreciate it. Like, I really like working with you guys. Maybe we can keep contracting, but just not something that, that I'm interested in right now. And then I think it was the following week that they kind of both got on a call with me. And they were like, hey, let us put an offer in your inbox. We really want you to come, like, take on this team. I have pretty clear expectations on autonomy, trust, independence, here in Colorado, there's you know snowboarding, mountain biking, hiking. There's just so much to do during the day that I don't want to have to be focused on work all the time. And then being independent, being able to control my own schedule. I was very clear that that's something important to me. And they made it very clear that that's not going to be something that's a problem for them. So they just kind of answered all the questions correctly and continued to make me think like, what if, what if? But they wanted me to run the team. And that's something that was not really on my mind. I'm a shipper. I just want to ship. And to be in charge of other people shipping wasn't the thing on my mind. They just kind of kept pushing me. And I appreciate now that they were challenging that less refined skill set of mine. 
that I've worked for great leaders and been inspired with great leaders, notably like Mike Kudermarsh at Planet Scale. If you ever have the opportunity to work for him, you learn a lot about how you work and how like elite teams work. And like Brian Levin, he's a robot. And like, if you want a lesson in shipping software, you work with Brian and Ryan. Like those guys over there just ship, ship, ship um, at an incredible velocity and it's extremely inspiring. So just being inspired by those like industry leaders that are just so good at what they do and learning from them has, has definitely allowed me to learn from their leadership skill sets and apply those to a team. So the offer came through as, at that time as a head of design role. And they promised that they would help with the people management stuff, things like that. And I started talking to some of the folks that I use as mentors, former peers, former bosses, and every one of them are like, oh yeah, like I would work for you. I would work for you. Like you would be an incredible leader. So just more of that, like thinking about it at night, like what if, what if I did just take on this team? And I decided to, it was quite a jump, but it was definitely with the understanding that I still need to play an IC role. And I kind of made that happen for myself of I'm not going to let this job just be managing people and tasks that I'm going to be pushing a bunch of code and doing a bunch of design because I'm so passionate about it and I care so much about the output and being a part of the output with the team and influencing the other designers and engineers on the team. It's a really special position to be in to, to influence the direction from a leadership perspective and then all the way down to pushing code right with everybody else. They talk about how the most important part of your job as a design leader is hiring the right people. And I think it's pretty safe to say that you got off to a hot start because the way that I heard about Clerk was from a tweet from James McDonald saying that he was joining full-time. And I remember thinking like, what the heck? Like, what is Clerk and how the heck did they land James? So can you tell us that story? Like, when did James come into the picture and, and how did you convince him to join Clerk? So James and I have been acquaintances on Twitter for probably the past year, six months-ish, something like that. When the Tailwind opportunity came to join them for a couple months to work on some stuff that they're going to be shipping here in the near future, we just had a lot of fun working together and kind of unlocking each other's abilities of just creating really great pixels. And it was apparent that we were having a lot of fun and that our expectations aligned so probably a month after he left Tailwind, then I'm in his inbox again, like, hey, here's this opportunity that I'm considering. It'll be a fresh start for the team. You have this company who has this incredible technology who is just loved so much by the industry, but are now investing in design. They want me to take on this team and build a team. Come do this with me. We get to do it the way that we want to do it. Make it as, as amazing as we want to make it. No one's going to influence this but you. Trust, autonomy is the theme, and no egos. And then another part of that, too, is with Clerk, I told them that we have to have an, a UI engineering team. If you're going to bring the level of talent that I expect on this team, you have to have folks to be able to write the code. Otherwise, the designs are only ever going to be that good in Figma. And surprisingly, it was pretty easy uh, after that to hear him say, like, yep, sounds good, I'm doing it. We work on stuff together. We're on opposite time zones almost. So it's a lot of him doing design, handing it over to me. Then I'll add to it, duplicate the artboards, do some stuff. Maybe it'll show up in the next iteration. Maybe it won't. And just kind of inspire each other along the way in the same, same Figma file. Get to somewhere that we're really stoked about. So yeah, pretty awesome opportunity to have the quality like James on the team. But the team is as good as James because James is around. Um, but also like, James is as good because of the team supporting him. Let's talk a little bit more about the team then, because I've also seen Alvish on Twitter now, and he's been sharing a lot of clerk work in progress. The quality looks 
really incredible. So maybe even at a high level, and you could talk about Alvish or, or future hires even, like what are the traits that you look for in designers and the way that they work that you think will be a good fit for this culture of craft that you're trying to establish at Clerk? Alvish came up from James, actually. He knew that we were going to grow the team and needed more visual design support, especially on the product side, because we're coming in to a company that has a foundation and we're going to redo it all. We're going to reface all of the product offering. So we got to do website. We got to do the docs. We have to do blog. We have to do the, just the change log was a fun little few day project that we worked on and shipped really quickly. Just kind of a team thing that we thought we'd have fun with. And then the dashboard as well. So that's going to involve product design. I'm not going to approach a dashboard and just make it look pretty. Like we're going to think about the, the IA. So of course, there's going to be a lot of product design along with visual design there. And James had proposed reaching out to Alvish. I had followed him on Dribble for a while. I'd seen a lot of his stuff. He's a super talented visual designer. I reached out to him and said, hey, James and I think it'd be really awesome to work with you. Would you consider doing some contract work with us? Uh, things like that. And right away, he's like, it would be an honor. Like, absolutely. I would love to do that. So we hopped on a call, met him. I gave him a small task to do as kind of an evaluation. And the next day, he turns around these designs for a dashboard page. I asked him to do part of the dashboard. The next day, morning pretty much, he turns around these like multiple options, super well thought out, fully animated in Figma prototypes of what the dashboard could look like. And I hand it over to Kyle McDonald, our director of products, and both of us are just like, this dude is, is an AI bot. We give him a prompt, and he just spits out ideas, really good ideas, really fast. And now that he's been with us for a couple months, it still holds true. Today, I was talking with one of our directors of engineering, and he's just like, he's so fast. Like, he just comes up with good ideas so quickly, and we're so lucky to have him. It was funny, one of the first conversations I had with him I was talking about some buttons that he had designed, like four sets of buttons. And I'm like, these are just really well done. Like the lighting around them, the subtle gradients, the subtle borders to highlight the edges. Like there's just a lot of that attention to detail that I really care about. And he's like, yeah, I did those because of your Twitter thread on how to do buttons. I was about to say that. I have that Twitter yeah. thread saved. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> it, was, it was humbling to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to put that in the show notes. I, I read that at least three times. Like, it has directly informed the way that I design buttons. <laughs> awesome. You've, you've said a few, like, really interesting things so far that I kind of want to, like, zoom out for a second. You talked about basically having UI engineers, dedicated UI engineers as a requirement. You've mentioned, you know, like, even just, like, the fine details on these buttons, this pitch to reskin literally everything. Like, a, a large visual refresh. And, and I've seen the work. I've seen the work on Twitter. It's really clear. Like you're investing a lot into the quality of the clerk interfaces right now. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the strategy behind that. Like, why do you think that this level of craft makes sense for clerk? The engineering that they have and the magic that comes with the engineering of the authentication flows, the user management, the session management, all the OAuth providers, we just released custom roles. Like there's just so much great engineering involved in there. And it was very clear that the design had so much opportunity to improve along with that so that the value of the engineering that's invested into Clerk and Clerk's offering equals to the design investment in the product as well. 
that was an exciting part of wanting to join Clerk was seeing the opportunity there. I am not interested in joining a company where a lot of decisions have already been made and it's pretty well thought out, smooth sailing. I was so excited and, and continue to be excited about the massive amount of work that we have to do. And with Colin and Braden, the co-founders of Clerk, really caring a lot about the investment in the design moving forward and leveraging the design talent that we have to improve the dashboard experience and the DX and the website and the visual presence of Clerk out on the internet and just kind of redefining what Clerk is in the industry to align with other dev tools like the linears and the planet scales and just these really polished brands that we look at and you know are extremely impressed with. So I'm really excited that their priorities have shifted towards you know, what would design do with this. A side effect of that that I didn't really foresee was with my engineering skill set as well, front end uh, specifically, being able to influence engineering initiatives and bringing up ideas and moving the needle on not only what it looks like, but the DX as well, because I care so much about it. And there's a lot to unpack there. And I do want to talk about <laughs> your engineering background, because I, I do think it's like a little bit atypical to have a design leader, someone that's like the head of the org is in the weeds of the code. How do you think that impacts the way that the design team works and the type of culture that you're trying to create even? I feel like I'm uniquely qualified to support a team from a design and UI specific engineering perspective, because that's something that I've been really passionate about in my own career for many years now of not only refining my design skill sets, but also the front end engineering skill sets. It's so motivating. It's so magical to see putting a extremely talented visual designer with an extremely talented UI engineer and watch them level each other up. I say all the time that the users never see the Figma files, like your design quality and your design capabilities of your team is only as good as the UI engineers that are implementing it. And that is a good like case for velocity as well of you have a whole lot less back and forth between the engineering and design. There's a lot less throwing over the wall because you have UI engineers that care a lot about making those pixel perfect Figma mockups come to life. Uh, and then you have designers who are less concerned about the translation process and having to Hey, will you move that one pixel? Like this is this is off a little bit because they're communicating to people that care. It's interesting to hear you say that because I think there's like such a negative stigma around the word handoff and like, yeah, you're just lobbing it over the wall. And it's because we look at really good design teams and, and people who are creating really high quality product as the example. And I'm starting to realize that the trend is that Either they have dedicated UI engineers or like I was talking to uh, someone early in the team in Notion where all the designers had to be able to code. And yeah, of course, there's less pressure on a pixel perfect handoff process when you have that level of trust and can have a more fluid back and forth with an UI engineer. So it's really interesting to even see how your decisions at an organizational level impact what responsibilities and, and where designers can even prioritize their time and their efforts. Any thoughts on that would be great, but also I, I would like to hear a little bit more about how do UI engineers at Clerk collaborate with design? How do you think about the org structure? How integrated are those two disciplines? During the first week of 
while I was at Clerk, I put together a presentation for the engineering leadership team to kind of show the value of why we want to have an engi- a UI engineering team, but have that UI, UI engineering team on the design team, not part of the product engineering team. Those slides showed examples that I had put together of simple things like using shadows as borders, subtle gradients, alignment techniques, just a lot of things that usual product engineer don't think as much about or even notice. So the presentation was showing here is what you normally would expect to see. And it was all of the things that I would normally say are wrong with the design. And most people are like, what's wrong with it? Like, it looks really nice. It's really pretty. And then I showed the difference of using a shadow as a border instead of uh, the standard border on top. Here's with some multiple shadows. Here's with some really good alignment techniques, concentric borders, (laughs) a hot topic. And (laughs) it was like, that's when kind of the chat lit up of like, holy shit, it's so obvious now that I see the comparison, but before then I didn't. But you have to have people that care about that level of detail. Otherwise, you're going to have your designers on your engineers' backs, wanting them to switch this over to them. The engineers don't care that layering multiple shadows, getting into Figma, figuring out what those shadow values are for each layer. But not only that is it's really easy to use a plugin like Beautiful Shadows in Figma and get like some really Mm -hmm. amazing natural shadows. But then you right-click, copy a CSS, and paste it to your files, and it's just like these arbitrary values that came out of a formula. But a UI engineer is going to take that and create their own formula of evening out those numbers, making it really nice, creating a pattern between them because they care about that uniformity in the execution and the implementation of it to where a a standard product engineer who's not responsible for that would be more focused on the data layer, caching, API, which is equally important. But by separating those concerns, you have a UI engineer who is just focused on building extremely beautiful UI, like more than just making pretty shadows, but like the user experience, they're, they're really passionate about that. And then on the other end, you have the designers who design this and care a lot about what it looks like and design with intent. And they want to work with somebody who cares equally about the execution of it. So before it was a designer works with a product, uh, product engineer and a non-technical designer struggles to communicate with a product uh, engineer because they don't understand what to say for them to understand like an implementation strategy and code. But now you have this translator in the in-between that the designers working closely with the UI engineer and watching the designs come to life. And then you have a UI engineer that takes their vision together and implements that and then works with the product engineer who's working on the API side of things to communicate everything that they're needing because they're very familiar with the API handoff and the state layer and all of, all of that to where the designer's not at all. And now you have someone who can translate that to uh, engineering. So you have performance increase on product engineering because now they're not having to write any CSS or focus or care about any of that. You have performance increase on the UI side because now your quality of your design is leveled up because again, your users aren't gonna see the Figma files. They're only gonna see what's implemented and you have somebody in place to really care about that implementation. And then you have a performance increase in the designers because now the quality that they care about is being translated into the code because they're working with folks that care as much about making sure that the quality stays the same from Figma to VS Code. I love thinking of UI engineers as translators. I think that (laughs) even just listening to you talk, like if I'm going to start a product team, I'm probably going to do something pretty similar. That being said, for the sake of conversation, I am going to take a second to put my design Twitter troll hat on. And I'm going to push back a little bit and, and hear what you say. Because I think you could make the case, 
hey, they didn't notice. You're catering to developers who didn't notice these details. It was still solving a real user problem. And by adding a translator, the cost of that additional salary outweighs the you know little bit more tacit improvements or performance improvements that you're getting. So you know why does that make sense? Do you have anything to say to that design Twitter troll? We care a lot about the quality and I think the quality provides a ton of value to the product. You know that when you look at a product that the team cares. The team cares about what it looks like. The team cares about how you experience it and it helps with the adoption and, and you take a really pretty solution and a really ugly solution and you're immediately as humans going to gravitate to this really beautiful implementation the the product design and the underlying strategy of what you're trying to accomplish still matters very much the dx is extremely important to us but the dx can be beautiful linear talks about this a lot in their posts about quality 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 and they have a similar setup you can see as paco over there just cares so much about the quality Vercel, same way you have rano over there care so much about the quality of the output. And you just see these nerdy developer tools look so beautiful because you have people there that care about what it looks like. I could probably speak for everyone that I've mentioned that it would be very demotivating to be working for a team who, who does not prioritize that for us to allow us to express ourselves and utilize our talents as far as we can take them, as opposed to be limited to someone else not caring about what it looks like. Luxury cars are luxury cars and are as beautiful as they are because of how much time and care and thought go into what they look like. But they are also equally as beautiful under the hood. And everything else that they think through when putting together such an amazingly crafted thing. And I think in software, it's the same way. We, the user doesn't care about the code. We care about the code. They might not care about the shadow strategy. We care about the strat shadow strategy. But really, when you put them side by side, it's an, it's an obvious difference. For it, it doesn't have to be a designer that sees that. You might not be able to say what looks different, but you can see that it looks different. And I think the key factor is what makes a good designer a great designer, is being able to tell you what the difference is. And by creating a place where that difference is celebrated, you're attracting the best designers, too. Yeah. And like you're, you put yourself on the fast track, like Linear, like Vercel, to be this magnet to really, really skilled designers. And, and I think it's, you're going to have a special team as a result. That's undeniable. Yeah. I'm really excited about the growth of the team. We want to be very careful about growing because the culture, the team culture, the ego-less culture is extremely important. We're so lucky to have James and Alvish leading kind of the visual design of the product and the website. And we, we all just work so well together. There's just so much trust, so much autonomy and I couldn't imagine growing to a large team to where they're starting to like ego battling and like it just it wouldn't be tolerated. It, it, it just would be so toxic to the team. It's so important to me to ship as a team. It's not James's design. It's not Alvish's design. It's not Luke's design. It's not Derek's design. Like it's all of what we're doing. I want to talk more about culture. I do have one question that I want to ask first specifically because you have such an understanding of DX. I think like as you're doing this visual refresh. There's kind of this spectrum where on one side, there's pretty obvious efficiencies that you can build by systematizing things and ensuring quality. But then if you go too far, 
you can kind of over-architect things too early, especially when really everything's on the table from a visual standpoint. So how do you think about where you want to fall on that spectrum as you're doing this redesign of the visual language for Clerk? I think teams can invest too quickly in design systems, both in Figma and in code. There are a lot of early decisions that get made that are easy to either overthink or over-optimize. And the way that we have approached it is kind of designing for what we need at that time, reusing that design or component a few times before codifying, especially in code. So Joe Bell and I have been writing a lot of dashboard code lately. And Joe, he contributed to Vercel's design system, like a massive amount of talent when it comes to design system understanding and, and thinking about it. And he's been an incredible asset to the velocity of our design system. However, someone like him who wants to design system all the things well is still very, very supportive of we should not be like documenting these components yet. Like let's create this new component that we think that we need, use it a few places, allow the API kind of to create itself based on the usage. And then once we feel like we are at a solid place of a table, a checkbox, an input, then that's when we kind of document that component as a piece of our design system. So when we're approaching new design system components or building a design system, it starts off as a lot of repetition initially, while we kind of define the patterns and the needs of that component before saying, yes, like this is the blueprint that we want to use for this. You've mentioned this dashboard a few times now, and I want to drill into that a little bit because it's potentially less pure visual design and a little bit more traditional product design. And my question is, are you viewing this more as like a pure reskinning where you're just kind of focusing on the pixels or are you getting into like some of the underlying UX assumptions? Are you doing any major like IA refactoring? Are you doing even like research to figure out some of the things that you should change? Like how much of a redesign is actually happening on that dashboard? I would be doing the company a disservice if we just came in and rethemed the existing dashboard. I think there's a lot of opportunity to improve. And it's absolutely been a ton of IA exploration of how can we improve the navigation? How can we uh, reduce the amount of options that users have, but continue to keep the same amount of capability? Along with it, yeah, let's make it look beautiful and add some visual distinguish to why something is where it is on the page as opposed to a single font weight across the whole thing, a single text color across the whole thing, and using various design strategies to improve the product design as well as improve the features that are in there to either A, make them more automated, more capable, more robust, or just a better DX when using them in general. One thing I'm really excited to redesign soon is kind of our session management. It's a really powerful feature in Clerk. And I'm really excited to go through that and kind of tear it apart and rethink how to make that as magical of an experience as possible. But it all starts with the leadership, kind of unlocking everything, moving anything out of the way, think about it from a fresh perspective and allowing it to now be a lot more design driven as opposed to engineering it and then putting design on top of what we engineered. That's an exciting opportunity in its own to create a lot of velocity around iterations, uh, along with refactoring the dashboard to utilize newer technologies that improve the DX at that layer. So yeah, the, the redesign is, is more than just painting it. It's thinking 
about it in a better way. And especially Alvish has been making massive improvements there. And it's going to provide a lot of value to users. Having that trust and autonomy to the design team now to push where we think things should go along with utilizing engineering and their knowledge and their perspective so that we all are really shipping something that we really care a lot about. Those types of redesigns take a lot of time, you know, to redesign your whole dashboard and this and that. So there are trade-offs because I care a lot about velocity and improving the dashboard as we retheme the thing. So we have had to accept these in-between states of you're going to go to a page and you're going to see something that looks that it's visually styled different than another page. And we've just kind of accepted that because I just really don't want to build a new dashboard behind a feature flag and one day flip it over. I'd much rather give users that value now and those improvements now and deal with the inconsistencies so that then over the course of a few months we'll be where we want to be iteratively and step-by-step as opposed to kind of working behind closed doors. That was actually my next question, which you beat me to, but I do want to drill into it a little bit more. So if you're not going to feature flag an entire dashboard and you're going to roll this out in phases, how much of the redesign of the dashboard is focusing on new feature work versus going backwards and actually like revamping some of the existing architecture? I'd say that there is very much a lot of new feature work happening right alongside the improvements. I've been using those features as opportunities to start fresh, as opposed to kind of just working with what we have. Like, let's think about this from the ground up, no matter what it's going to look like. We understand that it's going to be visually consistent from the rest of the app, but why make this fit into the existing design system and then have to go back and retheme it again, as opposed to just accepting those, that kind of intermediate state while we continue to push the rest of the visual design throughout the dashboard while we bring in new features. For instance, we just adjusted pricing and new pricing uh, pages came out inside of the dashboard there. But that went from we want to ship something in January to we had been working on something for a little while. And like, let's just get it out. Like, why don't we, you know, why, why do we want to wait until January? This is an important improvement to the users that will lower bills. So we want to provide that value now. So there is very much new adjustments being made while the underlying architecture is being explored and improved on as well custom roles. We just, again, shipped custom roles within there. And that was a massive feature. We have some more improvements that we want to continue to make in it, but the importance of like getting to a beta and getting this to users to start using that so we can get feedback and make adjustments is extremely important. All right, let's talk culture and team a little bit. You've mentioned the influence of planet scale a few times now. Can you talk a little bit about what elements or characteristics from your time there are you trying to bring into this new opportunity at Clerk and, and how that impacts the culture that you're even trying to create. Planet Scale is a unique team. I have been wanting to write a blog post about the experience of working there because it was pretty eye-opening. You have a lot of extremely talented thought leaders in the industry in one room, and they have all experienced how they don't want to work and wanted to make sure that coming to Planet Scale, they don't run into those same issues there. And it was very apparent. It's very important to eliminate as much process as possible and enable the individual to work the way that they want to work, to execute the way that they want to execute at the velocity that they want to work as well. I don't ever remember any deadlines on features at Planet Scale. When I said that out loud to a former coworker, apparently there might have been assumptions, but they were just never really vocalized. The process was 
someone deciding on what we're going to kind of work on, us being able to influence it, but it usually came from at the leadership level and we would support multiple features kind of happening at the same time. But we were never communicated when we needed something by because we just wanted to create the best thing possible and we're working with the best people possible. So why do we have to time box this? I have a big issue with deadlines. Setting a deadline is going to either allow the person to stretch out that amount of work over that period of time or have to eventually de-scope the project to be able to meet that arbitrary deadline. Now, we did have launch weeks at Planet Scale. We knew that we were going to want to ship a feature at that time. So there was maybe that could be called a deadline, but they were so far ahead that we knew like we wanted to nail this. But when it came to updating the branching page, I remember David and I were never told when that was going to be due by. We just told that that's what we were needed. And then he and I worked together for what we think should be the solution for this. And then I designed and built right along him while he did the back end and the API. And then we met in a PR to where it was just paint by numbers to where he's just plugging in API endpoints. And that process of working was way more velocity than I've ever experienced anywhere else. Um, we never had to sweat a deadline, but we just pushed each other to ship constantly. There were also very small teams there. It was two of us, maybe a third. I, I don't even remember having a third on a feature. It was usually a product designer and an engineer on something. And we just shipped features fast. It was it was definitely because of the process of how we work. I, I want to double click on it because it, it, it doesn't 100% click to me. You're building a system that intentionally removes this need and pressure to de-scope. How does that contribute to velocity and a culture of shipping when there's always more details, there's always more polish, there's always more features that we can add as designers? Certainly. I think that that's probably an experience level type of thing. I think we knew when it was time to ship. You know, yeah, you could sweat those details for days and days and days. And I'm guilty of it. As part of the feedback that I've received is like, let it go. It, you know, let's just get it out now. But without the deadline there, we got to ship exactly what we wanted it to be. And we were able to be entrusted to ship when we were ready to ship, but we wanted to get it out. There's a burning desire to get this thing out that we're excited about. It was often kind of shared. The final result was kind of shared when it got shipped. And that was a really cool cult, part of the culture there as well, is that there was very little, if any, kind of feedback outside of the couple of people that were working on the project. Maybe a little bit of a touch there of, you know, are we on, like, is this what you were thinking? This is what I'm thinking it is. And just kind of sanity check stuff. But having the engineer also have a very good understanding of what we were trying to build, a lot of that kind of feedback just happened between myself and the engineer that I was working on it with. And I think to put deadlines on that type of stuff, I think it would have negatively impacted the quality of what Planet Scale is today because we just cared so much about shipping the right thing. There was never a concern of like, is there enough time to do this? Taking that factor out of there was we just worked every day towards the solution. There was never a slowdown period, drag it out because we have a couple more weeks left. Like there was no, no like mindset of that. We just wanted to work every day to ship the features that we were working on. And we were excited to do that together. And I wasn't going to block my engineer. So I needed to keep working forward. And then he didn't want me to have to wait on him when I was done with the UI views. It was a unique kind of dynamic that happened of pushing each other to ship because we were all aiming at the same end goal. I've really had this investment in craft and, and, and why it's strategic lens through all of this, like really trying to put myself in your position. Like, how would I justify this? And I have something I wrote down. I'm going to say it. And I just want to hear your thoughts is that 
When you create a culture of craft at a company as a design leader and you just say, this is something that we are investing in, and this is the level of autonomy that we're willing to give people in order to achieve this, you attract the best people who are really skilled at operating independently, which ultimately leads to velocity. And it's less of a system and process thing. It's actually just getting the best people in the room and letting them do their thing. How does that resonate with you based off of kind of how you're thinking about your time at Clerk? It really is. I see it happening in Clerk now that enabling folks just make the decision because they're hired to make that decision. It creates, you know, that sense of trust that you're doing a good job and there's a lot of high fives, but it also prevents that kind of back and forth of opinions and designing by committee, engineering by committee, focusing on hiring the right people for the job and just letting them do their job. You think that they're the best person for this, so don't question what they're doing. Then you know, the velocity is higher, the pride is higher, and I think you just get to where you want to be quicker. James is a good example. Obviously, he's a phenomenal visual designer and specializes highly in marketing website design. Just let him go. Let him go in Figma. We need a new homepage. Here's the content. There's no other questions to ask. You know, just let him, ex let him explore. I enjoy challenging him and like, what if we did this? How about this? He's, he's really good at iterating when it comes to like, it doesn't feel right. I don't know what it is, but like, I think that this isn't the best thing that you've ever created for this, but yeah, just in allowing people to, to make the decisions that they feel are the best and then going with that to show that you trust them. It eliminates all that kind of back and forth of someone else having strong feelings about what something should be. The original creator of it feeling like their input and progress is being disrespected, I guess. It depends on how it's delivered, of course. I mean, it needs to be very health, healthy and constructive, but I think it's just extremely important to hire the right people that are extremely good at what they do and then letting them do what they're extremely good at. You see them in that way. So why take that from them? Well, I'm inspired. If I was listening to this, I would want to work for you. So maybe we can end this with like a, a little challenge, something to make this practical for a person who's listening, who hypothetically, let's say that they've been in a professional design role for the last like two or so years. What is a next step that they could take and something that they could invest in, maybe even over the next like six months, where six months from now, you would look at them and say like, yeah, that's someone that I want to hire. Having a better understanding for the medium of what you're designing for. If you are a designer that is building web applications, learn a little bit of HTML, learn a bit, little bit of CSS. If you are a mobile designer working on just iOS apps, write a little bit of Swift code, learn a little bit of Swift. The amount of career transformation that has happened in the superpowers that I feel like I've unlocked for myself from learning front-end development is indescribable. The opportunities that it's unlocked for me is indescribable. The, the inspiration and capabilities of what I'm able to output is completely different than what it was before I started writing code. It's extremely intimidating sitting down for the first time and looking at HTML. Like, how do people understand this? I'll never forget the first day that like I wrote some CSS that when you hovered over a link, it changed colors and it was just magical. Like it's just a blank Magic. HTML screen and it just had some CSS and like I hovered over a link and it changed to a different color and my mind was blown and I was hooked at that moment. But it all started because of having to have these conversations with engineers that didn't care or engineers that were annoyed by me caring too much. And I just kind of thought to myself that if they can do it, why can't I do it? So really investing in myself of trying to understand what code can I write that supports them to, so that we both are better at what we do. And I'd like to see 
more designers invest in that part of their career and that value that they can provide to their teams. The communication barriers change, the quality of output change. There's just a noticeable shift in the output of a feature team, a design team, when folks start understanding kind of what the capabilities of the technologies that they're designing for are. Now, I'm not saying somebody should start focusing on a React course and start learning React and, and you know JavaScript and all that, but being able to put a div on the screen, put some box shadows on it, place it where you want it to be, starting to make that happen is a very magical experience. And then the day you get to translate something that you designed in Figma to code and you see it on the screen is life-changing. That would be my suggestion is invest in yourself to have a much better understanding of the medium that you're designing for by learning just the basics, at least, of the technologies that you're working with. I love that answer. I couldn't agree more. Derek, thank you for taking the time. This has been just really cool to hear what you're doing. It's so exciting. I can't wait to keep a pulse on everything that you all are shipping. And I'm so appreciative even of the culture that you're creating where, you know, you have like James and Alvis, you're always sharing the work in progress. And we get to kind of see this behind the scenes. You kind of spilling the beans on the podcast a little bit. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Yeah, my pleasure. Really appreciate it.